This morning we're going to be looking at a passage from John chapter 21. It's a familiar passage dealing with Simon Peter and Jesus. Uh, One we're going to look at maybe from a little different angle than we have before. Let's be standing please as we hear this. God's word as recorded so long ago and yet still so relevant and meaningful in our lives. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. May God bless the reading of his word. So you're at the movie, the movie ends, the credits begin to roll, what do you do? Now you fall into two groups with that because when the movie ends there is a portion of the crowd that immediately gets up and heads for the exit. The crowd kind of disperse and then it'll be easy to go. But the second group oftentimes gets rewarded with something because many times at the bonus footage isn't there. Sometimes it's outtakes, you know, it's funny things that happened while they were making the movie. But other times it's kind of glimpses into the future of the characters. They'll tell you kind of where these people went and what they did. And, and rarely they'll even go back and show you little scenes of, of the movie itself. And kind of, you know, you can just kind of work your way back through and be reminded of what has just happened. Well, that's kind of what John chapter 21 is all about. Because if you read the Gospel of John and you read through chapter 20, you get to the end of the chapter and it's obviously the end of the book. If you read those last few verses, John's basically said, okay, I've written all I'm going to write, there it is, and you know, thank you for reading the book. And then all of a sudden, we have chapter 21. And it's often thought that maybe John finished his gospel and Maybe almost immediately he thought, well, you know, there's a few other things I'd like to say. And some people think maybe it was even several years later that he came back and tacked on this chapter 21, this epilogue. And what this writing does is it kind of gives us glimpses back into the gospel story that he has just told. And in fact, not only his own gospel story, but the gospel tellings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which it was obvious that he was well aware of. So as we read chapter 21, it kind of just flashes here and there, and you hear words, and you see scenes, and you begin to kind of relive the whole story of Jesus and what he had done in his ministry, and, and doors are opened in chapter 21 to invite you in and to find your place in the gospel story as well. For example, chapter 21 opens with the uh, disciples, some of the disciples, back on the Sea of Galilee, fishing once again. 
And Jesus is walking along the shore. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Jesus calls to them, and even somewhere along the way, he's going to say, follow me. And we're going to see Jesus sit down and eat a meal with his disciples again. How many times did he do that in the gospel stories? And the meal is bread and fish. And you go, oh, yeah. At first, the the disciples don't recognize Jesus. And that sort of reminds us of some other stories as well. And we could look at more, but that's really not our emphasis today. And the emphasis, though, in chapter 21, one of them seems to really fall upon Peter. And that's who we want to look at as well. When Jesus first calls to Peter and John and the other disciples out in the boat as they're fishing, Peter is stripped down and fishing. It's the Bible says he's fishing naked. Now, that kind of sounds strange. I mean, well, he had, you know, like his boxers on or something, surely. But he had stripped down for work. But that is not just a a, a sort of a spurious detail that's thrown in there. Because in Scripture, nakedness tends to imply shame. And Peter had many reasons to be ashamed of himself at this time. Uh, Just a few days, weeks before, as Jesus had had stood before the the, the trial of of Peter, I mean, of Paul... (laughs) of Pilate, and there we go, get those P words out of there, of Pilate and before the high priest. Peter had denied him three times. He'd said, I don't even know the man. And then he went out and wept bitterly, and you know he's still not over that yet. Well, there he's fishing, and suddenly John realizes after they catch a bunch of fish, oh, there's another story, isn't there, that that kind of reminds us of. They catch all these fish, and John realizes, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter realizes that he's naked, and so he puts his clothes on. Now, that goes all the way back to Genesis. There's another man that was ashamed before God and realized that he was naked, and he put some clothes on. But then what did he do? Adam went and hid in his shame. But this story is put in there to let us know that things have changed. Because Peter, in his shame, jumps in the water and swims as fast as he can to Jesus. All of us have shame in our lives. The answer for that shame is to get as quickly as we can to the Savior. And when he gets there, they eat together, and then after dinner, Jesus says, Okay, Peter, we're going to deal with this shame issue you've got going on. Well, he doesn't really say that, but Peter gets the point, and we get the point. So he begins to ask him. He says, do you love me? And Peter gets to cancel out one of those times he said, I don't even know him. He gets to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And then so Jesus asks again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, now three times you denied me. For a third time I ask you, do you love me? What a wonderful act of grace on the part of Jesus to let Peter know that it was okay, that his shame had been erased, had been dealt with. Now, Jesus needed Peter. He needed him as a follower, but most of all, he needed him as a leader because Jesus was about to leave and and he was not going to be bodily present with his disciples anymore. And he saw in Peter a leader amongst his folks. 
And so therefore, as he says, do you love me? And Peter says, I do love you. He says, well, then lead my people. Do what you need to do. And notice the imagery that he uses there. Every time he says something like, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, tend my flock. And that reminds us that Jesus had once said in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his flock. We're going to talk about that idea one more time of shepherding within the flock of God. That seems to be the strongest image that Jesus himself and other inspired writers pull out when they want to talk about what it's like to be a follower of Jesus or a child of God. The imagery keeps coming back to sheep and shepherds. Now, we want to explore that, but I'm not going to do it because we have someone in this church that's much better at that. Ed Houston is a shepherd of this flock, and he is well experienced as an elder, as a leader. He understands that, and he understands it from a unique perspective because in his other life, and many of our newer members and younger members may not know this, he's not just Ed Houston that hands out quarters to children. (laughs) He's Dr. Ed Houston with a Ph.D. in animal nutrition. He's a retired professor from Texas A&M. He was a research scientist for that, organi- that institution for many years. His expertise is sheep and goats and cattle and deer. He is internationally sought after as a speaker and has gone, traveled all over the world helping people uh, to understand and also to institute agricultural programs in various foreign countries. And so we're privileged to have Ed come. And he, he knows sheep. He grew up on a farm. He's worked with them all of his life. Uh, a lot of academic achievements. And as I told the uh, uh, first service today, uh, his proudest moment academically, though, was when he graduated third in his class at Toler High School. Right, Ed? Okay. (laughs) Ed. I did graduate third in my class at Toler High School, but that wasn't in the top quarter. You may be getting a point where you're tired of hearing about sheep after the last few weeks of reading bulletins and the articles in the bulletin and uh, announcements from the pulpit and the sermons. And, but it's all going to be over pretty soon. We promise we won't talk about that for a while. I was telling the uh, first service that that introduction embarrasses me a bit, and it does. Uh, but in retrospect, it's probably my own fault because if I'd have given him a little bit more information, he could have made it better. <laughs> well, why do you think that uh, the New Testament talks about sheep so much? Uh, actually, I, I looked this up, and there's 66 references to sheep, shepherds, flock in the New Testament alone. And you know, this is more than twice the amount of mention of cattle, goats, uh, oxen, herds, more than twice all of those put together. 
Uh, it's more than repentance, more than confession, more than baptism. Uh, it's almost as many times as it referred to uh, as uh, forgiveness. And, more, and almost as many times as the word church. So there, we have to suspect that there is a reason for this. And they've asked me to uh, say a few words, make a few remarks about sheep and uh, their characteristics and how that might relate to uh, this body. Uh, it's not the first time I've been asked. Irma Archer, when she was, uh, I think Irma was at the first service, when she was, she is a great lady. And when she was working in the footprints program, she asked me to come by and visit with her class uh, about sheep uh, because they were talking about sheep and shepherds and the church and elders. So I did. I went by and once a year I would uh, put a don a shepherd's uh, robe and put a rag around my head and uh, put on some sandals and would carry the a sheep crook. Uh, into the room, and we'd talk about sheep for a while. Uh, and then after I left, well, Irma would talk to her kids about uh, the relationship or the symbolism between sheep and God's people here, and, uh, and about shepherds and the elders here. Uh, I told them that there are many characteristics of sheep that could be related to people uh, the differences between male and female is one of them. The bond that forms between the newborn and the mama uh, is very strong, uh, and it's, it's similar to what it is in uh, people. Uh, the craziness of a yearling sheep. Everybody that works with sheep knows that when a sheep turns about a year old, they go crazy. And uh, that's the way it is, and it's interesting that, just as I say, it's interesting that in, in sheep years, that corresponds with people's teenage years. <laughs> um, but I told them that there were three things that I would like them to remember, and I went over them over and over. Three things I'd like them to remember. Number one. Sheep have a strong flocking instinct. Sheep stay together. They stay in a group. If one beds down, they all bed down. If one gets up, they all get up. If one turns to the west, they all turn to the west. And if they turn to the east, they all turn to the east and they move as a flock. That's just the way they are. That's how they're built. Number two, sheep are almost totally defenseless. They don't have any sharp claws. They don't have any sharp teeth. They don't have any sharp horns. Uh, they do have horns, and many of them do, but they use them for scratching, not for fighting. Uh, they are almost defenseless, and they have almost anything as a predator. Coyotes, bobcats, uh, eagles, even raccoons are uh, predators of sheep, uh, of baby lambs. Almost anything is a predator of sheep. They are very vulnerable uh, to attack 
and uh, they eat poisonous plants, they fall off of hills, everything happens to them. They're almost defenseless. Okay, number three. Uh, sheep are at greatest danger when they become separated from the flock. Once, a, once the individuals become separated from the flock, they lose orientation. Uh, they don't know which direction is which. They don't know what to do. They're alone. They're alone and they panic. Uh, this is just the way they are. They may, uh, if they get out of sight of the flock, they may turn completely and go the different direction, all the way as far as they can go. <clears throat> In Texas, that's the fence line. In uh, Wyoming, that may be Montana. Uh, they go, they just take off. That's the way they are. Okay, these three things, what were they? They are strong flocking instinct. They are very defensive, uh, defenseless, and they are in most danger when they are separated from the flock. Let's see if we can relate that now to our church. We're expected to be a flock. Talks about it all the time. Talks about it all the time. We are to care for one another. We are to want to be with one another. We want to be accepted by one another. Uh, we have this about us. Uh, what I've expressed it as here is those with commonality find, local, uh, find common locality. Uh, those of us that have things in common want to be together. That's the way we are. That's the way we're supposed to be. Uh, that's the reason we have fellowship uh, in, in our congregation, is to find ways to be together and to lean on one another. Number two, uh, we're defenseless. Satan will get us. If he don't get us now, if he doesn't get us now, he'll get us later. There's nothing we can do to totally protect ourselves against Satan. The only winner against a battle with Satan that I know of is Charlie Daniels. <laughs> and I thought about that, and I don't think I believe that story. My, my favorite reference to this topic in the scripture and explains it the best for me, and, and I recommend it to you. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not totally familiar with it, I recommend it to you. And that's in the seventh chapter of Romans. When, when Apostle Paul is talking about this battle, this battle that's going on within himself, uh, what he wants to do, he doesn't do. What he knows is the thing to do, he doesn't do. What he knows not to do, he does. It's a battle between good and evil, between the flesh and the spirit. He describes that very well. And of course, it is followed up with the first very profound statement in the first part of chapter 8 where it says, My victory comes in Jesus Christ. Not within me, it comes from Jesus Christ. So, uh, we are vulnerable also. We are defenseless against Satan, 
And without Jesus Christ, we are defeated. Same as sheep. Number three is that we too are in greatest danger when we become separated from the flock. As long as we were, are within the flock, uh, there is a security there. There is a supportive group. There, is, there are ways to make us uh, uh, face life's trials in an easier and more effective way. If we become separated, then we become easy prey to Satan. Uh, so if you find yourself in isolation, try participation. Uh, if you're off to the margin, get within the center. Uh, there is a way of thinking these days. It's portrayed by many. It says, uh, Jesus, yes, church, no. Give me the mountaintop experience. Let me look over a beautiful lake. Uh, and spend time with God that way. Well, I've been there. I've been to the top of mountain, mountains, and it's exhilarating to stand up on the top, climb that mountain, get and be tired, exhausted, and be on top of that mountain, and every direction you look is down. You look on a, a level of clouds that's beneath you. You see fly, flying airplanes beneath you. It is an exhilarating experience, but that's God's creation that we're looking at there. It should be. If you want to be close to the Savior, get in the flock where he is taking care of you. Let's talk a little bit about shepherds now. Uh, I had a graduate student. Her name was Laura Ripley. And Laura, as a part of her training, uh, went to Wyoming and hired on as a shepherd of a band of sheep on public lands there. Uh, she had, I think there were about 400 in that band, and her job was to take those sheep up the mountain over a, grazing, over a few months and bring them back down. Uh, that's the way mountain grazing is. Uh, the, the mountains are covered with snow, and when spring arrives, the snow melt begins. It starts at the bottom of the mountain, and slowly moves up the mountain. And as the snow melts, well, it leaves behind these very nice green uh, areas that are, are great for grazing sheep. So her job was to, to follow, the, follow the spring up the mountain. And then later on, she would be chased down from the mountain by the winter. But her job during this time was to take care of these 400 sheep. And it involved several chores. Most of the time was leisure time. Just the sheep were okay. They were in a, their flock. And they were okay. And, and she would read books and things. But there were things that she had to do. She had to have a vision up on that mountain where she was headed. Because she could see uh, the elevation up there where she was going to arrive in a few months. And she had to have that vision. She had to plan out the path. Uh, to get there. She had to know where the roads were, the paths were, where the uh, uh, bedding grounds were, where the grazing areas were, where the water sources were, and all of that. And then she had to gently move this flock over a period of months up this mountain. And then after she, when the 
season change to bring them back down. Uh, and all of the time that she was doing that, she had to protect the flock from predation and to rescue the individuals that became separated. Uh, the elder's job is that. It is to have a vision. It is to have a vision about where we are going. Ultimately, their vision is to always grow and get a, to a maximum level of righteousness for the flock. Uh, and then, of course, uh, salvation in the hereafter. But there are things to do below that. There are things to do. We've got lots of things that we need to be doing. There are uh, hungry to feed. There are the imprisoned to visit. There are uh, souls to disciple. And all of these things is a part of our vision and our care of this flock. And then below all that, maybe above all that, is our responsibility for giving protection and for rescue of those who become separated. Uh, shepherding isn't easy. Eldering isn't easy. It's over the top. Uh, we don't have the ability to reach our, spec our own expectations. And I'm sure that we don't reach yours. But uh, if you're willing to be shepherded, well, we are willing to try harder. And we're going to begin that tonight. So we'll see you there. Thanks, Ed. I hope that some of this discussion has stirred within you a desire to be closer to your shepherds and to the shepherd. And if that has, and you recognize perhaps you're someone who has not been part of a flock, that you really have not been a part of a church where you can be cared for, you can be encouraged, you can contribute, you can be defended, then we're going to stand in a moment. And as we do, some of our shepherds and other leaders of this church will be standing around the perimeter of this room. If you're someone carrying a burden and in need, uh, they are here to care for you. And our arms are open and we would be, uh, be thrilled to welcome you to this flock. Let's be standing, please.